0: On today's episode, we are talking about blood pressure and the myth of low sodium intake to help improve blood pressure. We're giving you some natural ways to support your blood pressure and we are sharing some stats backed by science that might have you reconsider that low sodium diet that you may have been so poorly advised to follow.
1: Live your life within the moment, moment. We'll wait until the morning, morning, you never know when it is over, over. All that I know is... Monday, and we are talking about one of my favorite topics, salt. And blood pressure. Mostly salt. <laughs> 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 I have become such a salt ad. Like, I think that so many people could resolve so many of their health problems by drinking more water mm-hmm. and taking in more sodium. Yep. Right types of sodium. Right. Let me, let me state that. Yeah. Like we, I talk about
0: it all the time in terms of even constipation, get yeah. up in the morning and have warm lemon water with mineral salt in it. And you're probably going to notice your bowels are
1: going to improve a little bit. Maybe that won't fix everything. No, but your energy, we love L M N T for life. Energy, constipation, brain fog, hydration, dry skin, Drink some more salt, guys. Just put some more salt. Get the right kinds. I will forever love LMNT. They are the most amazing company. But salt is bad for me, Becca. Oh, God. We need to talk about this. We are going to talk about it today. I'm actually considering having a third packet of LMNT today because I'm just mm. like not taking in sodium with the cleanse.
0: Yeah. Well, you're... So you guys, we'll, we'll probably do a podcast on this in terms of like the four phases of things that we take our clients through, but... um you know, typically the, the first phase is helping calm down stress, support metabolism systems. And for a very short 48 hour period, they do two gallons of water to flush and flood the body and support just opening up drainage and detox pathways. Mm-hmm. So it is not a normal intake. It is not something that we would recommend. And we do recommend including minerals in almost yes. every, in electrolytes in almost every water that you're consuming. Yeah,
1: cup yeah. of water or whatever we yep. have our Half gallon jugs. I have my half. Liz and I are matching. I got a different color than Liz though, because hers is pink. So I couldn't. I, then we would get like confused. We would also get confused. Whose was whose? Yeah, I like the teal though. That's cute. I'm on my last half gallon. I have until You're crushing it. Bad time to finish it. I'll be fine. Um, so today we wanted to talk about blood pressure and sodium and the relationship and the history and debunk some things. Mm-hmm. So let's talk first about blood pressure. High blood pressure in particular, or hypertension. And it is the most important risk factor for premature death, accounting for half of all deaths caused by cardiovascular disease and 13 and percent of all deaths each year. So it affects about 26 percent of people worldwide, about one third of the population. Nine in 10 Americans are expected to, de- to develop high blood pressure by age 65. Holy shit. Yep. It's a silent 90% killer. 90 percent. Dr. Hyman, <laughs> if you guys uh, ever
0: follow him, if you don't, you can look him up. Dr. Hyman has some really good podcast on blood pressure and how the ranges have changed. And we call it, you know, kind of like the silent killer. Um, and here's the problem is in conventional medicine, there's a pill for every ill, mm-hmm. right? Instead of looking at, like, I just had a conversation with one of my clients um, a few weeks ago, asking them, has this helped your blood pressure? Number one once you went on medication. And number two, did they ever talk with you about lifestyle factors? And the answer was, they told me to watch my sodium intake. And I just get more and more angry every time because there's drug therapies for things, but they never look at the root cause. And they're still talking about things that have been debunked in the research time and time again for, we're talking like 20 years now, but it doesn't make it to the doctor's desk for 17 years, right? That's the average time it takes from a research paper to be published for the doctors 17 years to be aware of it. Um, So be an advocate for yourself because studies have shown that drug therapy for high normal blood pressure and even even mild hypertension is not effective. And so they're typically using medications, things like diuretics, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, and calcium channel blockers. But more than one is usually needed. So because of the side effects of medication, now they're giving you
1: another medication. I don't need to go on here in terms of how this ends. Or they all have different purposes. And sometimes one purpose is not your need or you need multiple different factors to control your blood pressure. So then you're on multiple medications. And initially, these medications were only recommended for people whose blood pressure exceeded 160 over 100. But now they thought we're not making enough money. So, we're just going to extend who needs them to now even people who approach 140 over 90, even in the absence of any pre, you know, previous cardiovascular event. Treating mild hypertension with drugs has not been shown to be effective, yet it is common practice. And this is what grinds my gears so hard is that they are basically giving people medication and here's something that I did not get a chance to dive into, but I'm I'm pretty sure there is some research and knowledge around How just like how all of us are not the exact same size, we are not the exact same genetic makeup, every human is different. People can be healthy with slightly higher blood pressures. I 1000% believe that to be the truth. But just in case, just in case, even though you have no previous history of anything related to cardiac issues, you're nearing a number that worries us. So we're going to put you on a drug. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about the side effects of that drug. Because there are definitely side effects like headaches, dizziness, depression, sleep problems, erectile dysfunction, and renal or cardiac dysfunction. And often, these side effects lead to additional prescription drugs, common ones being men, testosterone, and Viagra. Mm -hmm. Or antidepressants, Mm -hmm. sleep medications, right? Which just
0: basically puts you in this false sense of sleep. Like you... It's like the twilight zone, Um, so you're not actually getting that good restful sleep. So again, it's just kind of a compiling here. Um, Gosh, I mean, if we had a dollar for every person that we've spoken to that has been put on antidepressants with some sort of PPI or blood pressure medication, we wouldn't be rich just yet, but we'd be well on our way. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. So a large review of randomized clinical trials performed by this prestigious Cochrane Collaboration found that antihypertensive drugs used to treat mild hypertension, again, talking about 140 to 159 over 90 to 99, did not reduce disease complications or the risk of death. So what then do we do and how do we look at blood pressure in terms of our lifestyle? How can we support our body? And why are we told to minimize sodium and salt intake? And is that actually accurate? So the wonderful FDA, this is what they have to say. Diets containing foods that are a good source of potassium and that are low in sodium may reduce the risk of high blood pressure and stroke. The US government recommends capping our sodium intake at 2.3 grams per day, or 2,300 Milligrams. You guys see that a lot, right? If you're looking at, like, for example, my fitness pile, if you've tracked your food in there, it's going to flag you and red alert you you've gone over 2,300 milligrams um, because this is allegedly heart healthy. But in the majority of cases, as we've talked about before on various other podcasts, sodium restriction does not do the heart any favors. And there's a lot of data backing this up suggesting that when sodium intake goes down under the 2.3 grams, the recommended daily intake from the FDA, there's bad outcomes, such as heart attack and strokes in terms what? of-
1: That risks. seems like the opposite of what should be happening. <laughs> but the pharmaceutical industry, like then they could put people on more prescriptions. You guys, we're going to cover some clinical research behind electrolytes and heart health. Sodium is the star here. But we are going to talk about potassium and magnesium as well. And at the end, we're also going to talk about other things that can help lower blood pressure, um, like lifestyle-based things. So they all play very important roles in heart function, blood pressure, and other things. And at the end, we will give recommendations around electrolytes and also, like I mentioned, for lowering blood pressure naturally. So ultimately, we want to shift. We want to be part of the movement that shifts this anti-salt world because salt is an amazing mineral and tool. So how did this whole anti-salt start thing start? Like, how did we get here? I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Lewis Dahl. We have because he's, you know, in, in our space, but a lot of people probably haven't. He was a scientist that ran a number of sodium-related studies back in the 60s and 70s. And his most famous experiment featured rats, which are now called Dahl rats, that were genetically prone to salt sensitivity. And when Dahl fed these rats high-sodium diets, they developed, predictably enough, high blood pressure, or hypertension. So the sodium blood pressure link appeared to be supported by a smattering of population data, but the data was inconsistent. Many big salt eaters, for instance, weren't hypertensive. So was it possible that something other than sodium was driving that correlation? And the question honestly was never really properly addressed, but instead the U.S. government in 1980 began warning citizens to avoid sodium. And today these warnings are enshrined In official recommendations, we're told to consume under 2.3 grams of sodium or 2,300 milligrams per the FDA. And if you listen to the American Heart Association, they say even less. They say 1,500 milligrams or 1.5 grams. Salt has basically become public enemy number one alongside sugar and cigarettes. And they can't even agree with each other. No. like I remember when we did our
0: salt podcast last year, which you guys can go back and listen to. We looked at four different organizations and all of them had different recommendations mm-hmm. for the daily, you know, recommended daily, uh, intake. So, you know, in most hospitals, <laughs> this is, this is pathetic by the way. Okay. I get so mad. I get so mad dies. because, uh, so when Marcus was born, he was in the NICU for a period of time. Uh, we were also just talking with a family member of ours that was, uh, in the hospital for a few days for a procedure. And she has a sensitivity to, I think she said it was soy. That she just like put down, right, Earth, Was it soy? Yeah. So she's like calling and she's starving, like super hungry. And they're like, well, you can't have this. You can't have this. You can't have this because soy, soy, soy. She's like, I, it's an intolerance. It's not an allergy. Just freaking give me like some food because I am like shriveling. She's already like very tiny, but she's like, I- I'm starving. And then the food is horrible right? Um, And so they put you on these like restrictions. Uh, Obviously, if you're there for heart stuff, uh, they're going to give you a low sodium diet Um, because the thought here is that it will reduce blood pressure and therefore reduce bad outcomes like stroke or heart attack. What did we just talk about? There's research that shows less than 2,300 milligrams per day increases that chance for heart attacks and strokes. So It really doesn't make any sense. Okay, So then we look at uh, a study that was published in JAMA, 2011, one of the most prestigious journals on the planet. Um, They have some good stuff, Uh, but they suggest that this policy is really misdirected. So they followed 5,000 patients with pre-existing heart disease or diabetes for five years. And the researchers tracked their sodium excretion as a proxy for sodium consumption and compared it with the rates of stroke and heart attack after the five-year follow-up. So the results, the patients with the lowest sodium intake in line with what the FDA, our government recommends, had higher rates of stroke and heart attack than patients that ate or consumed a more moderate amount of sodium. Their intake was four to six grams daily sodium. Again, 4,000 to 6,000 milligrams. What is this? Double? Right? It's insane. 2,300? It's absolutely insane. Yeah. And then what they, they mentioned here too, is that individuals in order to become a risk of heart attack and stroke had to reach about eight grams of sodium before it was a risk again, or that risk spiked up. So as a result, what we can, you know, correlate here is that low sodium diets that are supposed to help don't help. Mm -hmm. And that sweet spot seems to be somewhere in the ballpark of four to six grams of sodium daily.
1: Yeah. And they, so like that was one study. And a lot of people are like, that's one study. Sure. They've also done systemic reviews, which is basically a review of many studies and kind of putting together the summary of those. There was another one done, a systemic review in 2018, that looked at nine clinical studies that asked one question. Does restricting salt help with heart failure? Across the literature, the evidence is inconclusive. In other words, there isn't a good case for sodium restriction. But what about sodium driving up blood pressure? One of sodium's primary functions is to increase fluid volume in blood vessels. This helps get blood to your brain, among other places, and it's a big reason why low serum sodium brings a host of cognitive symptoms. So yes, boost your sodium intake high enough, and you will increase volume enough to raise blood pressure. But how does that play out in the real world? Because that's what we really want to worry about, right? So there was another study in 1988, which analyzed 10,000 people across the globe to explore the link between dietary sodium and blood pressure. In most populations, there was no link between salt consumption and hypertension. And more recent research even strengthens that finding. So we we wonder, like, what happens when you take a few thousand people with normal blood pressure and see where they fall on that sodium intake blood pressure graph? The results, those at lower sodium intakes had higher blood pressure than those with higher sodium intakes. So if sodium is driving hypertension, how could that happen exactly? It, the data does not hold up. So we need to start, stop demonizing salt and these salt packets. And I think a big correlation that we've talked about a little bit is sodium is often, when people consume high sodium, they also are consuming high fat right. and they are consuming high sugar because what has lots of sodium in it. Processed foods. processed foods,
0: and this is the sodium that's not mineral sodium. Exactly, right. We're not looking at a Redmond real salt or a Celtic sea salt or an element packet that's also bringing in other minerals, including potassium and magnesium. So let's talk about that because there are other electrolytes that certainly play a role here, and it's all correlated and this important topic um, to this conversation. Yet I don't think this is covered uh, with doctors. I don't think that you see them saying watch your potassium or increase your potassium things like that unless you have blood pressure issues i think is the main time where they might say something right mostly it's salt so potassium like sodium helps regulate fluid balance in and out of your cells so it keeps blood flowing through veins your brain obviously um, is suspended in fluid your jelly-like brain. Very, very important. Um, And blood pressure, right? We want to keep this uh, within healthy ranges. And so potassium does help regulate that. Higher potassium intake is uncontroversial associated in terms of lower blood pressure. Yet only 3% of US Americans get the Institute of Medicine's recommendation of daily intake, which is 4.7 grams of potassium per day. So that contributes to higher blood pressure and increased heart attack um, or heart disease risk. So Again, this is a really, really big factor here, but it's all blamed basically on
1: sodium. Okay, it so should be blamed on the American diet.
0: Yep. If we think about it, as Becca just mentioned, what drives all of these metabolic issues that drive heart disease? Standard American diet, ultra processed foods, high sugar, high salt, high fat. Again, that high salt not being the right forms of salt. Um, so, processed foods, again, evaluate. How much are you consuming? You're also going to look at things that you know don't have a lot of potassium in them. Um, you will see that a lot of potassium-rich foods are fruits and vegetables. You don't see that in vast variety and intake for a lot of people who are consuming the standard American diet. You're lucky if somebody would eat a freaking banana because
1: there's too many carbs and sugar in it. And that's the thing. We've fallen away from like, oh, bananas have amazing Amounts of potassium okay. mm-hmm. and vitamins and nutrients were like, oh no, the carbs. I'm going to go eat this um, sugar free, low sodium cracker.
0: Oh, and maybe sh- slug down some Slurpees and some diet Cola. Diet Coke. Diet Coke.
1: Diet Coke's delicious, by the way. I'm sorry, I love Diet Coke so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Diet Dr Pepper girl. So so we need to understand, though. Like, it is you guys. We are trying to help people realize it is not the salt. It is not the salt. Salt and potassium play a very important role together. They're kind of cofactors. They help intracellular and extracellular fluid balance, and you need both of them. And if you are not taking in adequate fruits and vegetables, and you are having a lot of salt, then yes, you will probably down the line at some point, run into some problems, especially if you're genetically predisposed to that. So now on to one of our favorite minerals, magnesium. This is a mineral which literally helps regulate the beating of your heart. Magnesium influences blood vessel relaxation, calcification, clotting, inflammation. Inflammation is also a key driver in atherosclerosis, the process underlying heart disease. Specifically, inflammatory particles like cytokines and macrophages contribute to the formation of plaque in the arteries. So, cytokines and macrophages, I want to bring this back to just a little bit. They are abundant in inflammatory situations. So, when you have chronic inflammation, cytokines and macrophages are very, very abundant. And they contribute to the formation of plaque in arteries. So, what are some common inflammation symptoms? That are obviously not like you're about to have a heart attack, but I think things that people ignore are far too common. Bloating, PMS symptoms that are really, really debilitating, headaches, chronic headaches, migraines, brain fog, really poor sleep, all of those tend to go with chronic inflammation. And so when these plaques that these inflammatory uh, cytokines and macrophages eventually develop, eventually break off then that heart attack or or stroke can occur. I am, it's the end of the day, you can tell. So we need to basically affect the immune-driven process and magnesium can modulate heart disease risk. Think of magnesium kind of like children's aspirin. Like it helps in the same similar, it helps drive down inflammation. It's very safe to take in moderate doses. And it's evidenced by the fact that magnesium deficient patients have higher levels of systemic inflammation. So magnesium supplementation is a very promising therapy for alleviating cardiac arrhythmia which is basically a condition where the heart doesn't beat properly. Yeah. Yeah. I was
0: just pulling up a different um, study here just on magnesium from one of the companies that uh, I'm actually trying out myself, BioOptimizers, and um, talking about just magnesium for sleep because we use different forms of magnesium for different reasons as they all play different roles. But there was a study that has shown that magnesium inhibits the fight or flight molecule known as norepinephrine. And by inhibiting that, it helps to lower blood pressure and put you in more of a relaxed state. So it's really good in terms of people who are struggling with blood pressure. Uh, But sometimes when you look it up, you're going to see that magnesium is contraindication, right? Um, For certain medications. So I think there is definitely a sweet spot for people. Um, For me personally, I do magnesium at five milligrams per pound of body weight per day. And I do it in a couple different forms. Um, every person is going to be obviously very bio individual and your need is going to change. We like, um, you know, absorbable forms of magnesium or which would be glycinate or blends of mm-hmm. magnesium. So, you know, we've done, Oh God, mag 300. Mag we've SRT. Done, yep. Yep. TriMag, mag. Try mags. Another one. Yeah. Des- and then- Designs for health has a good one. Um, Bio Optimizers, that's another brand that I just mentioned. Their yep. magnesium um, has several, it's called Magnesium Breakthrough, several yep. things in there. And then if you're somebody who says, like, I just don't want to do capsules, I don't do great with capsules, uh, because I'm doing such a high dose of magnesium, uh, I actually switched over to something called Upgraded Formulas, Upgraded Magnesium, and it's made with liquid nano minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, I can just do like a couple dropperfuls a day rather than. Yeah. You know, some of those capsules in magnesium, usually it's about 120 milligrams. Take so, to get what you need, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. So, before we go over recommendations, too, please know everyone is different and everyone metabolizes things differently. So, start slow. We will do our disclaimer this is not medical advice. Liz and I are functional practitioners, but this is not something that we are giving you as a prescription. So, yeah. we are whenever not- we write plans for people, it is based upon multiple
0: things, not just their symptoms, not just their goals. It's also looking at testing. It's looking at um, you know, maybe a hair and mineral analysis test, taking into a lot, taking a
1: lot of things into consideration. Yep. Absolutely. So, so for sodium, I think the sweet spot appears to be between thirty five hundred to six thousand milligrams a day, mm-hmm. depending on how active you are and how much you're sweating and how clean of food you eat. Because the less processed food you eat, the less sodium you're encountering. And so you need to add salt to your food. Not a lot of real foods, have I mean, eggs do, but like not a lot of real foods have sodium in them. Salt your food, add it to your water, your electrolytes, things like that. Don't shy away from it. Yep. Potassium is about three and a half to five grams a day. And those you can get from leafy vegetables, lots of fruits. Think like eat as many fruits and vegetables as possible. And magnesium, we say usually to start around 400 to 600 milligrams a day and increase from there to what Liz was saying, which is five milligrams per pound of body weight. Um, So most of your potassium and magnesium should come from dietary sources, like dark leafy vegetables, starchy tubers, meat, fruits, but most people do need to supplement, to be honest. Um, So supplementing those things. And the harder part is the sodium when you are eating a clean diet, which is why we love our element tea. I do two packets a day. I usually have people start with a half a packet because some people are very sensitive. Um, If you do not know the status of your liver and kidney function, overloading with salt is not always the best idea. So I usually tell people, start with half a packet, see how you feel. And then you can up it to a full packet.
0: Yeah. And I would just add there, if you're struggling, if you have some kidney things going on, then we need to look at detoxification and drainage because obviously this comes down to more of like a blood issue uh, in terms of your kidneys being able to filter your blood appropriately. So what are you doing to help support your drainage and detoxification pathways? And this is where we get into the conversation of your lymphatic system, which has such an important role in our health. We could probably do a podcast just on that, but many people are unaware of that. Um, and so, this is again, as Becca's saying, maybe start with half a pack of elements, but look at your diet. How many leafy greens? How many bitter greens? Things like parsley,
1: arugula, cilantro, uh, things that are higher in fiber. Baby carrots are really great. Cruciferous vegetables, mm-hmm. because your kidney is also kind of a backup to your liver. And so if your liver is super burdened, then your kidney is going to become burdened. And so, again, all of the systems interplay with each other and we need to address all of them. Yep. So some other things that can help with lowering blood pressure naturally, um, vitamin C. So vitamin C has been shown to modestly reduce blood pressure and improve arterial health um and this is especially true for people that are low in vitamin c usually recommended dose is a thousand milligrams a day i recommend usually using like an ascorbic acid um versus like emergency packets which have a bunch of other crap in them Mm -hmm. so i just and it's super cheap just buying you know or you can do liposomal forms of vitamin c that are better absorbed um and obviously vitamin c is water soluble so you just pee it out if you don't and fun fact.
0: If you are somebody who is iron anemic, you need to have vitamin C as well as some other things. Um, But if you are taking iron, you should be taking it with vitamin C for better absorption. Just a little fun fact there.
1: Yep. Next one is COQ10, which is something also if you are on a statin, you absolutely should be taking COQ10. And vitamin E. Yep. So COQ10 is an antioxidant that plays an important role in protecting the heart. Um, levels of COQ10 decrease with age and are lower in patients with diseases that are characterized by inflammation and oxidative stress, such as high blood pressure, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. So doses of like 100 to 225 milligrams a day, um, it can reduce systolic blood pressure by 15 milligram HG uh, and diastolic blood pressure by 10 MGHG. So... It is fat soluble. You want to consume it with a fat meal or a fat based meal or with a meal with some fat in it. Um, So there are a lot of very good forms of COQ10. We have shared our favorite brands of supplements out there before. We should probably do another podcast on that too. Yeah,
0: we definitely can. And I just um, was chatting with a client of mine. She's been on, oh, statin for, I don't know how many years. And they never told her about taking COQ10, which is crazy to me. And so I was giving her a little bit of education around the importance of COQ10 as well as vitamin E. And they actually have blends now for people um, to take in terms of, you know, supporting some of the depletions when you are on a statin. So yeah, we can definitely do another one. And then garlic would be also really good. Uh, I love garlic. It's so beneficial to the body. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you struggle with garlic because you have, you know, things like upset stomach or gas or bloating, things like that, distension, telltale sign that, uh, you got some gut dysbiosis going on because garlic is very anti-parasitic, anti-microbial or antibacterial, I should say. So really, really good stuff. But there's been clinical trials that have shown that long acting garlic supplements, um, have a modest but significant impact on blood pressure in people with high blood pressure. So an average reduction of, uh, 8.4 systolic and 7.3 diastolic, um, in terms of blood sh- pressure is, um, uh, that's a pretty good
1: you know, if you combine mm. these things, you can bring yeah, your blood pressure down quite a bit into yeah. a normal range where then you oh, hopefully could convince your doctor to take you, Or you just stop. No, I'm not going to say it. Just stop the meds, Becca. Come on. Don't tell people to stop their medication. So the last few things, reducing sugar intake, obviously, exercising regularly. Exercising regularly, guys, is like the fountain of youth.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I can't imagine what I would feel like if I didn't walk. Like I'm itching to get up and move. I'm going to go walk on my treadmill after this because I'm literally itching to get up and move after sitting yeah. so long. Yeah. And people want to know why they're tired and they're fatigued and why their body, you need blood flow. You need movement. So not even just for like weight or things like that, but for your general health, exercising. And even just if you could start with, research has shown two minutes of movement after eating can help with your blood sugar levels. Blood sugar blood pressure, all these things are really, really important for longevity. Stress, manage your stress, get outside and walk in nature. Being in nature is very, very therapeutic, can help with mood, a lot of different benefits there. Meditation is great. Breath work is great. Again, if you can just find time in your day, take deep breaths, five seconds in, five seconds out, just really big, deep breaths. All of that can help reducing our blood pressure. And I think a lot of people you know, if you don't struggle with blood pressure, you probably know the feelings of anxiety and you're getting red and you're you just think of like the feeling of like I'm boiling, mm-hmm. right? All those things we just talked about would be ways for you to kind of calm your system down yes. as well. Yep. So, it is the silent killer as I mentioned, uh listen to Dr. Hyman. He's got a couple different podcasts with a couple different doctors that go into more of like the science and in-depth stuff. But we wanted to bring this to you today to understand that salt is not the devil. Hyman talks about that as well, just in different ways. So I can link those out in the show notes. And if this was valuable to you, you appreciated it. The content uh, is what you want more of. Please like, rate, review, and share the show.